Our text today, our parable that we have, comes from Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd came to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grains and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Today we talk about the unimaginable life that comes with unimaginable wealth. Now I have to admit there are few things that strike fear into the heart of a preacher than preaching about money. So I want you to know this, that everything that I'm saying today, I am preaching to myself. Maybe it will hit some of you as well. It's interesting that in regard to material things, Jesus spoke so much more about money than he did about prayer. And he does that in this parable. Today's parable, it begins with a rich man. He's got a lot and lot of land. He, he farms that land. And this particular year, this rich man is about to get a whole lot richer. His, his crops produce more than he could have imagined. And he looks at his stock houses and, and the storehouses. They're just not big enough. And so he develops this plan to, to tear down these storehouses and build up newer, bigger ones so that he can hang on to all his grain. And he says to his soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. I think if we wanted to, we could probably rename this parable to the parable of the American dream. Right? Many of us would really love to have that experience. We'd love to be the rich man, to not just retire, but to, to retire with comfort, right? To be able to go anywhere you want to go, do anything you want to do, to live out that rich, abundant kind of life. My wife and I, 10 years ago when we were on vacation, we met uh, two couples who were younger than us at the time and had done extremely well. They had made an application for a phone, and they had just exploded, and they were ridiculously wealthy. And they retired. 35, they retired. And they spent their time traveling and enjoying life, but they also were very, very generous. They put together a foundation and, and made it their, now, their, their new work of giving their money away. But that's the American dream. Strike it rich, retire early, kick back, and relax. I mean, if you think about it, money really does make the world go around. We need it for food. We need it for shelter. When we don't have enough or we go into debt, then we begin to feel financially insecure. We compare the car we drive with our friends' cars. We compare the home in which we live with our friends' homes. We compare our job with our friends' jobs. A lot of comparing. And I've said it in here before, money can't buy happiness, but it can buy me a boat and a truck to pull it. 
And it's important to remember that being rich is not a sin. Being rich is not a sin. I mean, we look in Scripture for evidence of that, and we find Abraham, who had a massive amount of wealth and livestock. We look at Solomon, King Solomon, who had more wealth than anybody could imagine. Being rich is not a sin. It's, it's a blessing that God bestows to some people. These are blessings from God. And now we know that the, the life that we live does not consist or, or is surrounded by the abundance of our possessions. That's not really the essence of life. But it sure is tempting to want that. Uh, my wife and I, we love to watch musicals. One of the musicals we, we enjoy is Fiddler on the Roof, right? And the main character of that is, is known for singing, like, if I were a rich man, right? That dream to be a rich man is, is something that, that he hangs on to. But there's a friend of his that comes to him that says, money is really the curse of the world. And the main character's like, yeah, um, if that's a curse, then may God smite me with it, and may I never recover and that's how we feel sometimes. If we just had a little bit more. Maybe if we just had a lot more. And God says to this fool, fool, today your soul is required of you. All these things you've stockpiled, all these things you've prepared, what good are they? Today your soul is required. You know, no one knows the day or the hour in which God has planned for us to return home. But there will be a reckoning. There will be an accounting by what you have done with what God has blessed you with. As we look at this rich fool, we can see quite clearly his motivation, his drive was for himself, for his self-gratification, self-preservation. It wasn't for those around him. It was just me, myself, and I. And suddenly the rich fool discovers that his life, his soul, is not his own. That his life is just simply on loan from God, and God can call that loan to be repaid at any time. And this is one of the sometimes forgotten truths of Scripture. That life is not a right that we have. That our lives are on loan from God. That if God gives five days to a baby born only to take them home on the fifth day, then we mourn our losses, but we have gratitude in our hearts for those five days. We have no rights for either five days or 105 years. The world screams defiantly. It's my life. It's my body. It's my choice. But the follower of Jesus understands that my life has been bought at a price. I am not my own. Covetousness. To covet means that you are willing to think about doing something wrong in order to acquire the object of your desire. To just think about doing something wrong in order to get what you want. Jesus says to take care and be on guard against covetousness. To take care and be on your guard means that you constantly ask yourself questions. Constantly test yourself. Do I really need this? Do I really need more? Do I have enough? Can I give more away? My mom adopted a motto. 
It's from World War II. It's a conservation motto, and, uh, and she lived by this motto. Some people have mottos that are just cool sayings, but they don't live by it. My mom lived by this motto. Use it up. Wear it out. Make it do. Do without. And that was my mom. We'd take something like a, like a milk carton, and after we, we drank the milk from it, she turned that into like three or four different things that we could use around the house. She always used things that when they were finally broken beyond repair, she would somehow MacGyver them into something else and use them continually over and over again. But covetousness just consumes more and more. It has to do with a couple of things that are intricately connected to covetous, to coveting, and that's security and beauty. Taking a look at security, how much is enough to feel secure? How much money do you need to feel secure? John Rockefeller was at one point the world's richest man. He was America's very first billionaire. And a reporter once asked him, how much is enough money? To which Rockefeller responded, just a little bit more. You see, when you're driven by this financial insecurity that we need more, we need more, we need more, you will never have enough because that fear consists inside you. And that fear of insecurity drives the hunger for more. Possessions and wealth are are bonded to this deep-seated fear in us that someday what we have will run out. Now, the most obvious place where this parable can be applied to our daily lives, I believe, is our retirement. We're not content to just make a living. We want to make a killing, or at least enough to retire early. And it looks a whole lot like this fool's conversation with himself. Because he's only interested in himself. And this Jesus adventure is so much more than just taking care of me. It's about looking out and seeing the needs of those around us. Now remember, I'm preaching to myself in this sermon. If it hits some of you, if the shoe fits, wear it. But I'm preaching to me. This strikes me as the hardest part of this lesson. For for me, it would be unimaginable to not be saving up for retirement. I was with a handful of guys this past week, and we had this conversation about, about retirement and, and saving. And, and one gentleman said, you know, I really, these were all Christian, Christian brothers and sisters. Christian brothers, no sisters, just brothers. Not that I have anything against Christian sisters, we just weren't there. And one gentleman said, I, I believe it's, it's the responsible thing to do to, to save well for retirement. Because that way I, I know that I'm not being a burden on my family and I'm not being a burden on society. And there was another, another gentleman who said, you know, I, I can appreciate and respect that that's your belief. But for me, I believe that God will constantly provide. And so that individual's family gives away all their surplus, trusting that God will be their supply. Now, regardless of where you are with, with retirement, maybe some of you are already retired. The, the point of this parable is not whether or not you should save for retirement. That's not the point of this parable. Rather, Jesus wants you to know that you should not ever find your security in a dollar. That your security comes from something so much more. That only God can make us secure. So moving from security to beauty, 
We often measure ourselves by the jobs that we have, the wealth we possess, the stuff that we have accumulated, especially as we compare them to one another. There are many people who use money to make themselves feel more beautiful, more worthy, more valuable. And Jesus shares these words from Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Jesus in scripture, he tells us that you are his masterpiece. Think about that, of all things that God has created. Of all the the beautiful landscapes that he's just breathed life into. You are his favorite. You are his treasure. He sees so much value in you. Jesus wants us to know that it's not our stuff that makes us beautiful. It's our God who redeems and restores us who makes us beautiful. And all that we have, every possession, everything, every dollar, all of it is not ours. It's God's. Whenever Jesus discusses money in the New Testament, he always does so with this understanding that everything belongs to the Father. That we are only just stewards. A steward is somebody who does not own it, but takes care of it while the owner's away. All that we have, we are but stewards of. And God gave us abundance of a crop to this rich fool. But for what purpose? It wasn't so that the rich fool could just kick back and relax. Perhaps that man would have recognized that it wasn't his harvest. He would have asked the question, God, what would you have me do with this surplus? Who is hungry and in need? Show me an opportunity. If only he would have looked around and seen the stomachs, the empty stomachs of the poor people around him and thought, that is a far better place to store my grain. Now, the reality is that all of us have some elements of greed in our life. All of us have have a hunger for more stuff. Those times where we just don't rely on God to be our full supply. Like we sang earlier, that, that our God is enough. We say that and we sing that, but sometimes we just don't believe it. And that sin drives a a moral poverty in our lives. That we we are soulfully bankrupt. And Jesus, out of his incredible obedience to the Father and love for us, though he was rich, he became poor experienced our moral poverty, took our sin to the cross and experienced the life poverty of death. Now, remember, before this parable, there's this young man who comes up to Jesus. Obviously, his father has just died because he's demanding that his older brother share the inheritance with him. Jesus, there's been a wrong towards me. I am do something. Please make a judgment on my older brother. Let me have what I deserve. And in a a strange twist of irony, Jesus looks at us and considers us to be that younger brother that approached him. And Jesus himself is the older brother, the one who owns and holds everything. But the twist is this, that when we come to Jesus and we come to the Father in repentance like we did just moments ago in our confession, 
And we say, Jesus, give us forgiveness. Give us relief from our sin. He does by his own death. That's the way that you get an inheritance is someone dies. And as Jesus died, the inheritance that was his, the riches, the glories of heaven is passed to us. And we receive that gift of unimaginable wealth in the kingdom of God. Jesus is the source of true riches. In 2 Corinthians, Paul teaches that Jesus Christ, though he was rich, became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich. In another letter, in the same letter, he says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Because of what Jesus has done on the cross, he wraps his righteous robes around us, declares us secure, declares us beautiful. We are rich. Charles Spurgeon says that the one way that we can know that Jesus is precious to us, one way we know Jesus is precious to us is that nothing else is. That our money becomes meaningless. Our stuff, unimportant. That all, our all in all is him. That he is our life. In Christ we have unimaginable wealth. And with this unimaginable wealth, we are inspired to be rich toward God. That's what Jesus said at the end, rich toward God. We move from coveting to content. Because we know and we trust that, that we, we no longer compare what we have with, with what other people have. We are content with what we have. We're content with that gratitude that God will continue each and every day to faithfully provide our daily bread. We move from a false sense of security and finance to an eternal security with God. Our security comes from the one who hung on the cross and who burst forth out of the tomb. Our security comes from the very real presence of God that comes to us in the waters of our baptism, in the body and blood of our Lord's Supper, in the word of God. We go from this false sense of superficial beauty to the awe-inspiring glory of God. No more comparisons. We remember that we are all equally sinful. We know that we are all equally saved. We know that we will all equally share in the inheritance, the glory of heaven. The world says store up. The Bible says empty your barns. The real way to riches is to empty your barns. The real way to power is to serve. The real way to joy is generosity. This Jesus adventure it's about living this unimaginable life, hanging on to the unimaginable wealth of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, here we sit in the wealthiest country in the world. Inspire us, God, to, to open up our hands and, and be generous with the abundance that you daily provide that we would be aware not of the size of our storehouses, but the needs of those around us, that we would be generous, that we would take joy in giving. We do this because you have taken incredible joy in giving your son. It's by his life, death, and resurrection and promised return that we have security and beauty and wealth. We pray this in Jesus' name.